Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with our readings from the Paramatma Sandarbha of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're in the second section dealing, the second part dealing with the intrinsic qualities of the Jiva. This evening, we'll be discussing the fourth and fifth qualities. But a quick review of where we've been. The first two qualities were mentioned in the 19th Anacheda. The Jiva is not God, a God, even when he's in the position of a God, like a demigod, like an Indra, or a Chandra, or a Agni. He's not a God, although it's a nice post to hold. <laughs> but he's identifying with that body and mind that he has in that situation just like we are in our situation he's not a human and he's not a cow or any other animal or tree or plant so the jiva although is completely separate uh, of course as we know uh, identifies to the uh, circumstance that he's in but it really is not who we are so that's the first intrinsic characteristic to know that you are not this body, no matter what that body may be. And then the second intrinsic quality is to understand that you're distinct from the body, the senses, and so on. So it's these two are pretty closely related to know that uh, you're not the body that you're in and that you are entirely distinct from whatever designation uh, you may have at this point in time. The third quality is the jiva is not inert. The jiva is not matter. Now, when we were discussing various purvapaksha, there are certain logicians that actually think that the the consciousness or the jiva itself can come about by some combination of the material elements. And they're certainly not alone in the current Western culture. It's, uh, it's accepted by some that uh, the body comes into being and there can be consciousness there. And when the body goes, the consciousness goes, is gone, it's full stop, Doesn't there's nothing after that. That's the third quality, is the jiva is not inert, it's an understanding of, of its nature, it will never be inert, it's not matter, and it doesn't expand and contract according to the size of the body and, you know there's other misconceptions that we've gone over as pointed out Jiva Goswami and his Paramatma Sandarbha in discussing the nature of the, the Jiva marginal energy of the Supreme Lord doesn't really counter those other arguments but they were presented by the uh, by the commentator who's addition that we're relying on for these classes as the Purvapaksha, as what's the opponent's position, what other ideas are out there. 
and then knowing what those other ideas are, then we can have a a deeper appreciation for everything that's included in a full and complete and scripturally based definition of what is the nature of the soul. Now, that isn't to say that Jiva Goswami in, directly in his Anuchedas, when necessary, doesn't contradict Advaita Vod, and specifically a misconception of that which is prevalent during his time, even up to, to, to our time now, those are the viewpoints of Sankaracharya. Uh, those viewpoints are based on his own interpretation of scripture according to his idea. But they're not they cannot they cannot be justified by scripture when you look at the whole body of scripture. And if you look and actually give a, a comprehensive understanding to scriptural revelation, his ideas in regards to the nature of being uh, and, and the nature of Brahman, they don't stand up. Um, they, didn't, they don't stand up to such an extent that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he forbade his, his disciples to even study that philosophy. He, 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 he was that uh, adamant about the damage it can do that one, in simply hearing the Mayabad philosophy, could be swayed from bhakti. Then you may ask, we can ask, well, my gosh, we're reading these commentaries. We understand all those conceptions that the Mayavadis embrace. But we understand them through an acharya, through, a, through the sadhus, and we understand them for what they are. They're, they are used as purvapaksha so that we can have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the proper conception of Brahman. There's a proper conception and there's an improper conception. And you can't really know what is the proper conception fully unless you have some knowledge of what's what is the what are the misconceptions. So it's interesting. Uh, sometimes it's said that uh, uh, the practice of spiritual life is like a razor's edge. You have to be very careful to to keep your balance or if you slip and fall and don't stay in good association and don't have good a little bit of discipline, ever-increasing discipline from engagement, you can slip, you can in bad association. And that was the main point of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Don't associate with people who embrace this philosophy. So we discuss the philosophy, but none amongst us embrace the philosophy at all. 
we all are adverse to the Mayavad philosophy. That's different in sitting in an assembly or hearing from a Mayavad. Now, Bhakti Ross and I once ventured there, but we ventured there to serve prasadam. She cooked the feast and we went and we were in a, in a yoga studio setting and sure enough, in comes the Mayavad sannyasi and really I didn't hear anything he said because I wasn't listening. I don't know, you were, I, I you know, I, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, sink in. it didn't sink in and really the only true Mayavad there, if he was a Mayavad, here again, these so-called yogis and, and gurus, and he was an Indian, and uh, you know he came. But he, when he was coming in, when he was entering, I was going back and forth bringing up prasadam, and I, I said to him, "Hare Krishna," <laughs> as he came up the stairs, and it was like, it just a complete blank, blank response, nothing there. So at least we got to give prasadam to everybody if it's there to counter, counteract that. So I don't know. The audience, are the, were they philosophically astute enough to pick up on the philosophy he was presenting? They may have, may not been, but the damage certainly could have been done. Well, we're hearing the Maya body philosophy here. But we're keeping in good association, and we immediately say, or laugh at it, or it's like, it's, how can this make sense? Association is the main point to understand in regards to definitely not being influenced. So continue, Yiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha, 21st Anacheda, discussing the third quality that Jiva is not inert. So we're up to the 21st Anucheta. This is the fourth quality. Uh, the Jiva is free of modifications. Jiva says in, his, in this Anucheta, denying the mutability of the Jiva, Na Vikari, quality number four, Sri Dattatreya told Yadu, the various states beginning with birth and ending with death are caused by time whose course cannot be ascertained. They belong to the body alone and not to the Atma, just as the phases of the moon come and go without affecting the moon itself. Jiva continues, he now explains, that's from the 11th canto. Due to its being a fluid orb, the moon does nothing more than reflect the light of the sun according to its different phases. Its apparent waxing and waning are those of the phases and not of the moon itself. Similarly, the different states beginning with birth and ending with death are of the body alone, brought about by the passage of time, the course of which cannot be ascertained and do not appertain to the Atma. So we see the moon and it's waxing and waning, coming and going. And uh, similarly, we 
notice the body. We can notice our body or the bodies of others. Or sometimes we can sit and watch even a plant grow before us. Bhakti's telling me, if you sit down and watch bamboo, <laughs> you can see it grow because it grows that fast, which is six inches a day. So if you just sat there, you could you could watch it grow. And we can also observe our own body and its changes. So the point being made, understand it's just like the waxing and the waning of the moon. It's The moon is the same no matter what phase it's in. We're the same. So this this quality of being free of modifications. And this is there's some interesting things in the commentary I wanted to share with you. Time is here called Avyaktavartma, or that whose path is unmanifest. This means that we do not directly perceive the movement of time, but only infer its existence from the changes it brings about. We have no sense faculty that allows for the direct perception of time. And that, just to understand that, it's kind of akin to what the Buddhists think is the whole, their whole philosophy is, it's to be in the now. Whereas, and that way you won't be affected by it. In other words, just to just to be here now, to this moment, at this time. They work towards a consciousness. They they actively pursue a state of mind wherein at every at any time they're not thinking of, you know, they're not thinking about what transpired or they're not thinking about what's what can transpire in the future what may come they they don't think like that they try to get into a mental state where they're in the now so there's no hankering for future events there's no lamentation it's 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 the buddhist state of mind and i was thinking of that in relationship to this time you can't really as it says here, we have no f- sense faculty that allows us to perceive the movement of time. It's an interesting concept when you think about it. And also when you think of the fact that time is also a manifestation of the Lord's, within the Lord's external energy. Um, but we account for it by seeing change or movement in some object. Otherwise, we wouldn't know. Times, well, we say time's moving forward because we see something's not the same as it was a moment ago or a day ago or a month ago or a year ago or a lifetime ago. There's changes happening. So, such as the movement of the sun or change in one's own body. We see the sun was here and now it's here and now it's there. So, 
something's changed and we call that change time is what the is kind of the underlying point trying to be made here we give it a nomenclature oh time is passing well, maybe the sun just moved i mean you know we like to quantify everything so we we need a we need a yardstick and the yardstick we we've we've given it a name and the yardstick used to to judge these changes we call time. Um, in truth, time does not move. It only affects changes in matter which give us the sense of its movement, just as when sitting in a departing train, the platform appears to be moving when it is only the train that's moving. So you can see the the relativity, and this is something that you know scientists really, well, one particular scientist really grabbed onto this idea. Oh well, what's what's really moving here? And when you have two objects moving past each other, you know, the whole concept of time and matter. Einstein played this out to a, to the nth degree. So again, we do not go through modifications, and time is that force by which everything is modified. So in essence, we are not affected by time is the point that's trying to be conveyed. Anucheta 22, the jiva is not mere consciousness. It's not just consciousness. There's more involved. And... This is an interesting annotator, uh, and a few things come out, and especially the nature of, of knowing, knowledge, and what is the, the, the jiva's characteristic of being one who can have knowledge. So we'll read the annotator itself. Jiva says, it was said earlier by Jamatri Muni, the Atma is not mere consciousness. Jhana, Matrat, Mako, Nacha, quality number five. What exactly does this mean? It means that even while being purely of the nature of consciousness, the jiva has the capacity to know Jhana Shaktitva, just as light, which is itself luminous, also has the power to illuminate. This was demonstrated by the following verse quoted in the Tattvasandarbha. Now, as the praman for this concept that's being conveyed regarding the consciousness of the jiva, we go to the 11th canto. So this is a verse, Pippalayan is talking to King Nimi. Because it is the witness of the variable states childhood, youth, and so on, of the transient material body, this Atma is without birth, growth, decay, or death. Although the Atma is exclusively of the nature of consciousness, present everywhere, eternal and invariable, it appears to assume various forms under the influence of sense perception and cognition. 
just as the vital force, prawn, within the body, although one, appears as if many in contact with the various senses. And we come, we can kind of remember that earlier verse when we were talking about the three states of awareness, wakefulness, sleep, a deep sleep, and how from the source, utilizing that prawn, the, the life force in the body, the Atma is able to go out into the body, and what was it, thousands, tens of thousands. The Atma can go out through the body, it goes out through, and it appears to be different, like I'm feeling here, and I'm seeing here, and I'm hearing here, but it, all this all this is coming about and being experienced by me, the Atma, due to, well, different utilizations of that vital force. Part of my vital force is going into the, the physical eye and, and perceiving with it. In deep sleep, it rests. And there's only the perception of susupti. It's the only, there's, there's no other perceptions. Otherwise, the prawn is working. So that's the point that's also coming through here in Pipa Lion's discussion with King Nimi, where it says, just as the vital force, the prawn within the body, although one, there's one vital force, appears as if many in contact with the various senses the working senses, the knowledge-acquiring senses. So that's the point being made. Jiva Goswami continues, It is perfectly clear from the above that the self has such power of knowing because the verse says that although the Atma is exclusively of the nature of consciousness, it is a knower or witness of the variable states of the transient material body. Therefore, it is said, the knower of the presentational field, being pure, merely perceives these beginningless modifications of the impure actor. He goes on. Now he use, takes a verse from Lord Kapila's instructions. Well, Sri Kapila expresses it this in a different way from Pipalayana. He says, this is from the third canto, upon seeing Prakriti create through her gunas varieties of progeny with forms corresponding to those gunas, he, the self, so upon observing Prakriti creating so many different forms, living entities, um, according to the, the influence of the modes of material nature, he, the self, observing this, existing in this world, became immediately bewildered by Prakriti's power to conceal consciousness. It's, it, uh, Kapila is saying here, think of just think of what you're seeing. How does this happen? 
How will you not be bewildered? And by observing all the concealment of consciousness according to the gunas. The tree, what can the tree perceive? The difference between the perception of a, the tree and the perception of a cow, you know, and the, or the difference of the perception of, of the little lizard walking along the uh, walkway out here. I mean, look at the way material nature is covering consciousness according to its modes. And, and, and that's the point that Kapila is saying. We, can, we become bewildered by this ourselves. Jiva goes on explaining and unpacking the verse. In this verse, by the words, upon seeing, bewildered, and by the power to conceal consciousness, the self's knowing capacity, yawn, is understood as internal to its being. Pratyagbhuta and hence distinct from Prakriti. And her self-generated ignorance, which by contrast is external to the self, Patrag-Bhutaya. It can thus be deduced that the self's knowing capacity must be a function of its own innate power, Swarup-Shakti alone. In the Gita also it is said, living beings are bewildered because their consciousness is covered by ignorance. Instead of discussing that, I'm going to let the commentator unpack it because he does explain it interestingly. It can thus be deduced that the self's knowing capacity must be a function of its own innate powers, Shakti. In other words, we have, the jiva itself has its own power based on its existence. We use the terminology Swarup Shakti to mean Krishna's power, his internal potency, right? There's, Shakti, there's the Shakti Man and the Shakti. So generally we, this is a set, well, there's, the jiva also has power coming from it, course its power is coming through it it has a source but it does have an, an infinitesimal amount of power whereas Krishna has unlimited power it's the terminology Swarup Shakti here is being applied to the power that the Jiva has a little bit of the commentary the Naya Yakas those that use logic to determine what things are, or the Nyaya scholars, so here the words Nyaya Ikas, accept four valid means, or Purman, of obtaining knowledge. So they have four ways that they say you can perceive knowledge. Um, the first one's Pratyaksha. We have senses and we can perceive. We can infer based on what we have, our senses have experienced in the past or what we have heard, knowledge that we've come by. And what was the example there? Anuman, 
there's smoke coming up from the mountain. I know that a fire, when it's burning, gives off smoke. So there must be a fire on the mountain. Uh, comparison, comparing one thing to another, you can come to a logical, some logical conclusion regarding the nature of the that thing, upamana, and the word or testimony of reliable sources, subda. You may not have personally seen a fire, seen the smoke coming from a fire, but if you have somebody who you put, whose ideas and experiences you put faith in, then they can tell you it's probably a fire. I've seen a fire, and when you have a fire, you see smoke. You know, I could light a fire now. If you think about it, I mean, it's a natural thing that we accept knowledge that way. We'll sit on the lap of our grandfather as a child, and he'll say so many things. And yeah, we accept him as an authority. So this is the Nyaya school, the logical school. I can experience it directly with my senses. I can, I can infer based on what I've seen or what I've heard. I can compare one thing with another. By comparing these, I can arrive at some conclusion regarding the nature of the one thing. And I may just listen to somebody that I put faith in. So, the commentary. Nyayakas accept that the jiva is eternal but not that it is inherently endowed with the quality of consciousness. Remember those philosophies that were presented earlier. What was the philosophy? Consciousness of the soul only comes about when in contact with the material energy. Take it out of the material energy there's no consciousness. Why? What, what is their conclusion? Well, there's nothing to perceive. So what, what's, the, what's the question of conscious, consciousness when there's no perception? Take, take yourself out of material nature where you have no senses. I mean, it's not, it's not an unreasonable conclusion if you think about it. Take yourself out of the body. Take yourself away from everything that's here. What is there to be aware of? If there's nothing to be aware of, what's the question of consciousness? You need something, uh, you know, on the other side. So that's the way they think. They claim that consciousness appears only when the jiva is associated with the mind. When a jiva becomes liberated, disassociating dissociating permanently from the mind, it becomes devoid of consciousness. Sankhya, on the other hand, accepts consciousness as the, as the inherent nature of the jiva, but not agency, kartritva. According to them, agency belongs to prakriti. He goes on. Advaita Vedanta affirm, I'm sorry, Advaita Vedantas affirm that the jiva is consciousness alone, but they do not conscious, consider consciousness to be a quality that the self as substrate 
possesses. Sri Jiva, while still referring to Jamatri Muni's verses and the Padma Purana, says that the Jiva is not mere consciousness, but also the possessor of the power to know. So now we come back to the Srirup Shakti that's in Jiva Goswami's directly in his Anucheta. It's, it's a nature, an inherent inher capacity of the Jiva to be cognizant. Well, what is the nature of that cognition? What do we actually mean when we say knowledge? And that's what we'll discuss as we continue in the next class. Any questions? Thank you so much for your association.